G'day, I'm Rob. Hello, I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where this week we're looking at Rosa, and I am joined by, well, you just heard him, it's the man himself, it's Stephen from New to Who. G'day, Steve. Hey, Rob, how's it going? I'm not bad at all. Good to hear. Yeah, this is new, you and me doing this show. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've long wanted to get uh, on, so here I am, and uh, yeah, you, you might get me back again at this rate. Yeah, Stephen had Dave bumped off during the week, and that's why we're doing the show. No, as we said at the last episode, Dave is in Canberra this week. It's one of his infamous Canberra jaunts. And with that, let's rip into the episode for our hot take. Let's do it. Up front, Steve, I'm going to say I really enjoyed this. And I'll say here and now it's not a 10 out of 10 for me, but it has leapt ahead of the past two weeks very easily. Yeah, look, I would very much agree with that, Rob. I um, said that this is needed to be a very, very good episode. I think the third one into the season, we needed to see like a, a really, really good one. And I think we got that. So, um, yeah, mission accomplished. Absolutely. And of course, tellingly, this is the first non-Chibnall story. I mean, OK, I know he gets some billing on the credits, but I'm going to presume here this was more Mallory Blackman than Chris writing this. And it's just interesting that the first sort of non-Chibnallish story has done so well. <laughs> I wouldn't read too much into it, but I, I do take <laughs> your point. I think the first two had a lot of heavy lifting to do, uh, and I'm not sure if they're exactly the kinds of stories that maybe we'd expect from Chris Chibnall going into his his reign uh, later on. Um, but I can understand why you say that. And uh, nonetheless, a really good script. And I think he had a hand in it. It was, it was, it was a co-write credit, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Mallory Blackman and Chris Chibnall. So he's, he's, mm, yeah, he's yeah. done something there, that's for sure. Now, yeah. I did some research on Mallory. Uh, obviously, Mallory is uh, British. She's a woman, uh, also a person of colour, and was the Children's Laureate from 2013 to 2015. She's in her mid-50s. And aside from being British, I think they're all pretty distinct things from most of the other New Who writers we've had to date. Yeah, look, I think it's really important that we have diversity in the show, both on screen and behind the scenes. So, um, you know, having someone who's uh, such an esteemed writer as well is only going to um, add to, to the show. So it's great to see. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there have been so few women writing on Doctor Who at all. I mean, that, exactly. that's, that's a big step up for starters. Um, mm-hmm. let alone her other credentials. So I'm, I'm, I'm already hoping she comes back because she did a really good job <laughs> here. Yeah, likewise. I think uh, it'd be criminal if this is the only script that she ever writes for Doctor Who. Yeah. Now, having said all that, I think uh, if Blackman and or Chibnall isn't a fan of Vincent and the Doctor, I'm probably a poor judge um, looking at this story. <laughs> you know, the historical setting, the inconsequential baddie, it leads up to a climax with contemporary music blaring. I mean, chuck in that the explanatory history nerd ending, that was the Unquiet Dead to me. And uh, I think this was like part Unquiet Dead, part Vincent and the Doctor. Steve, am I wrong? No, I think you're right. And in fact, I think I said during the week that this episode needed to be this Doctor's Vincent and the Doctor kind of episode. Um, all of those parallels are absolutely true. But I think also in terms of the way in which it treated a very sensitive issue and uh, a, a real-life historical figure, mm. I think there's there's great degrees of parallels between the two of them for sure. Yeah. Now, now one thing, when I was watching it, I was thinking, how are the Americans going to take this? Because, you know, I think when shows from other countries come along and present your history, like the history of your country, uh, even when they have a very clear view of it, and even when they're reporting it just as it happened, the results can really sting a bit. You know, and I don't know if that's got to do much with our history classes or what, but I'm just wondering, oh, Americans going to watch this and be a bit like, ooh, like wince a bit, like, yes, this happened, but ouch, you know, it still hurts. I'm not going to pretend that was very much a concern of mine as well. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a, a showstopper, but I think it was one of those things that we, they needed to judge very, very carefully. But I think that they did. I think there's a number of reasons for that. There's obviously the script and the production itself. But mm. aside from all of that, um, US, uh, US history is so, um, I guess, um, really important to 20th century and 21st century history as well. So I think a lot of people have an awareness of it and the civil rights movement being sparked by that one act uh, by Rosa Parks sort of reverberates around the world, not just across the US even to this day. So Mm. I think we have that shared common cultural uh, history um, emanating from that point in time, whereas as opposed to, you know, going back to Victorian times where there isn't maybe such um, an international kind of um, relevance to to that. Or, you know, the other other way to say the Civil War, for instance, in America, where 
as as non-American viewers, we probably wouldn't really have too much of a uh, an in. But I think with with Rosa Parks and the civil rights movement and that entire discourse, I think I think we do very much have an in and very much do have a, a stake in it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, not being a, a US citizen, I don't know how much of this gets taught in, in history classes over there. I just I mm. just have a feeling, though, in history classes around the world, the less savoury things maybe don't get swept under the carpet, but maybe not enough attention is given to them. And then it's suddenly, possible, yeah. yeah, then suddenly it's front and centre in, you know, someone's favourite TV show and, and the companion's getting hit in the face within the first, you know, what, five <sighs> minutes or something. Yeah, that was that was shocking and and really effectively done, wasn't it? Oh, oh, ab- absolutely. He's picking up the late. Was it her gloves or a hanky or something? Yeah, it was her gloves. Yeah, and just being kind. Yeah, <laughs> and and that really set the scene. And in fact, my my wife Jamie, who is American, watched that and was like, "Ooh, yeah, they're not pulling punches here, are they?" No, but I think they couldn't afford to. I think if the, if you had if you needed if you had to do this right which they definitely needed to uh, you you couldn't shy away from uh, the reality of that and I think you know presenting like a watered down version of that would have actually been an injustice to to this not just the story but you know the the, the era as well yeah oh absolutely so it's it's certainly taken a swing away from the first two episodes which you know little sci-fi mm. stories and and the second one in particular is a bit of a run around and you know yeah laser guns and things and suddenly gosh this this was quite surprising and and you know just we'll get to a lot of feedback at the end of the show but i think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised maybe even a bit shocked by it look look, it's just such a step up from the previous two stories and i I think there's a number of reasons for that i mean it's kind of like going from the keys of marinus to um the aztecs in many ways um or maybe even the time meddler it's such a step up in in terms of consequence i guess Mm -hmm. um but also quality too and it needed to i think it really needed to i think the first two yeah did a lot of heavy lifting set the scene uh thanks very much ticked all those boxes but we needed a story like this and boy did it deliver yeah, and I mean, you, you say that, but they're still introducing concepts to the uh, the viewers, like like Artron Energy, for example. Yeah, so isn't this interesting? So obviously Chibnall was saying, oh, there's no past references and whatever else. I counted a good half a dozen or so past <laughs> references, whether that was to the Storm Cage, uh, not, lots of other sort of like little tributes and nods to the past and kisses to the past. So it's not all gone. It's not just a total reboot. So I'm kind of secretly pleased about that. But yeah, there's there's definitely stuff creeping in that it makes it Doctor Who and I guess um, requires the audience to buy into that. So that's no bad thing for me. Yeah, I was I was I was surprised and, and sort of delighted by that Stormcage reference because as you say, <laughs> I didn't think things like that would be popping up, you know, like that's a very Same. Moffat sort of invention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we had the perception filters and then yes. there was the anachronistic use of the mobile phones. Um <laughs> It was just glorious. I really liked that. I really appreciated it. This is Doctor Who, both for you know, a modern new audience, but also for us, you know, crusty old fans as well. <laughs> yeah, Elvis giving the mobile phone to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that that is so that is so Moffat. That's like a Christmas it Carol is. and hanging out with Marilyn Monroe and things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> and, and look, just to rewind a little, I'm, I'm not saying any of this about the US history to beat up on the US. I think all countries' histories have moments no, no, that, that can make people squirm, whether it's, you know, quarter of a century later, half a century later, a century later. I do like the fact, though, that it wasn't sort of presented as this was a problem of the past and it's now something that's solved and isn't relevant and applicable, that that sort of fight for justice continues. And, um, you know, there was that really lovely scene, and we're probably jumping the gun here behind the, um, oh, the rubbish can. jump the gun. Right. Yeah, just that really sort of lovely moment where they, where it was Yaz and and, um, and Ryan behind the, the dumpster and they were talking about how this is something that they have to contend with as part of their everyday lives, even back home in Sheffield in, in 2018. So um, I, I appreciated that. I appreciated that it wasn't just like, oh, here's this terrible thing that once happened in the deep south of the US and it's not a problem anymore, blah, blah, blah. It's something that actually, actually really does um, permeate into today's life as well. Mm. And of course, it also makes people think about history. And this was one of the things Chibnall was saying before the series started. Oh, it's going to be educational. And some people took that very badly on Twitter. Some people were saying, oh, I don't need him telling me, you know, what to think or teaching me about history. It was like, well, it's kind of where the show's come from. This could be quite interesting. And I think this is the first salvo in that mm. uh, sort of uh, desire of Chibnall's to maybe not in every episode, as we've seen the first two weren't like that at all, but in some of them to maybe educate like some of the Hartnell episodes did. 
Oh, look, I was just going to say that there is strong historical precedence for historicals in Doctor Who, if you like, and Hartnell's very much the sort of spring well for that. I've, we've already sort of noted that there's definitely Hartnell references and influences uh, in the new era as well. Um, and, you know, that whole sort of, you know, we have to ensure history takes place as it should or time as we know it will be in jeopardy kind of narrative is something that definitely has been done in the past with Doctor Who, so it's not new to us. Mm. But I think the way that it was done in this one here, like the dramatic states and stakes and tension um, that it sort of created was actually really effective for a much more modern um, viewership as well. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, here's Doctor Who getting on a high horse doing education, educational sort of historicals again. It's actually something that I think worked as a, as a modern piece of drama. Yeah, you know, a, a, another aspect of being a modern piece of drama is the whole look of it. You know, when I think oh. of the kids' shows I grew up that were trying to teach me things, they didn't look half as good as this. <laughs> this, this looked like a film in places, and it's to yeah. do with these new cameras they've got or something on the production. It just looked big and expensive. It's astonishing. The The whole thing just sweeps and looks like some sort of, you know, wonderfully cinematographied sort of... Uh, uh, film, it's it's glorious. I love how it looks and feels, and it looks so. Um, I don't know what the word, the right word is, but the first word that comes to mind is expensive. And I say that mm. as someone who grew up on pretty crap seventies and eighties Doctor Who special effects in <laughs> yes. the nineties, thinking this looks a bit crap. So to have my show look like this, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, it's fantastic, and even attention to detail, like you know, advertisements, you know, on the street that they just casually walk past That's and they weren't true. being focused on. You know, I think this was filmed. I want to say this was filmed in South Africa too, like the second episode. Ah, oh, okay. I've got I didn't a, know that. Yeah, I've got a feeling this was filmed overseas somewhere, possibly South Africa. I really should have looked that up before the show started. Well, I wish I could. I wish I could help, but I have this terrible habit of going to spoil lockdown before any of the series and the stories. So um, I've probably missed that. It's probably already been sort of, you know, on a Doctor Who confidential or whatever the the equivalent is these days. But I, I've missed that um, quite quite by intention. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that was South Africa. It did, definitely did not look like a quarry in England or Wales. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was beautiful. It just looked so warm and 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 so very very. I guess you know like maybe what you'd expect from uh, a u.s television show set in the in the deep south yeah and and the costumes and and again as i say the attention to detail everything just worked mm. for me with this and i thought Ooh, this is really good because you know we know the bbc can knock it out of the park with uh period dramas that might be set in the 1920s or 30s or victorian london or something yeah but absolutely to, but to do this location that that was a bit of a stretch and as i say, i don't think it was filmed in the uk but it was still the bbc presenting it and uh, yeah. they did so well yeah hats off to them I, mm. again and i'm surprised because you're right if they do a downtown abbey it looks amazing um but for it to be 1950s usa and to be and to look so authentic is really great too yeah and even the accents too i mean i haven't looked into these actors behind them but their accents were pretty damn good uh, yeah, to a non-American, yeah, absolutely. Um, whether, again, our US viewers are able to differentiate between, you know, regional dialects and, and accents, then that maybe is another issue. But I thought it was, it was yeah, definitely spoke of that of that sort of southern drawl and twang. Mm, true, true, true. Before we get into characters specifically, is there anything about the uh, the production you wanted to talk about and the, or the story as a whole before we sort of drill down a bit? Um, I, not really, other than the fact that I, I kind of mentioned it before, the whole idea that this is uh, a really sensitive and modern take on the historical and, and sort of takes it even one step further from from the historical as, as we knew it, which was, you know, like I say, that whole we have to make sure history takes place um, in, in the way that it's meant to kind of not one line um, approach of Hartnell into something that is much more powerful by... I guess virtue of the fact of, of representing it as it actually was or, you know, ha as best as we can sort of reconstruct that era anyway. Um, so I'm I'm really happy with that. I, I had, like I say, reservations about this one. I didn't know that uh, it was going to be pulled off in quite the way that it was. Uh, it's obviously a very sensitive um, subject matter and, and, mm. and, and something that is, is very, very important to very many people. So for them to have, have sort of told a story that was worth telling rather than sort of saying, hey, we're doing this and we're kind of doing it in a way that is maybe a little bit disingenuous, they avoided all of that and actually hit it out of the park. Which brings me to a question that I'll ask again before we get to these characters, because this is something I've seen you talk about on Twitter and I know you could probably talk about it all night. 
and that's <laughs> and that's the desire for historicals and we should differentiate here to an old school doctor who fan and historical is a story where there's no sort of sci-fi elements well aside from the tardis mm. landing of course you know so you'd look at say the devo story the visitation that's not a historical because it's got pteroleptals in it whereas maybe True. black orchid would be uh yeah whereas in this modern era if something is set in a historical era on Earth, fans are quite happy to say it's a historical. And to them, this was a historical, even though it had an alien mm. in it, you know, trying to mess yeah. things up. Where do you stand, <laughs> Steve, on people and historicals and the desire for them out there? Um, look, I think, you know, there's a, there's a great renaissance, you know, I mentioned Downton Abbey before and all of those kinds of um, sort of representations of historical eras of the past. There's a kind of a glamour to it. And they're particularly done well in things like The Crown, for instance, on Netflix, where mm. uh, it sort of re- transports you back or Victoria, for instance. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to say that there isn't an appetite for it, but I think that it doesn't quite work in the modern sense for Doctor Who because... If you want a historical, I guess you could always watch The Crown or Victoria or whatever the case is. Um, it may not necessarily work through the expectations, the audience's expectations of what Doctor Who should be or could be. And mm-hmm. I think in that in that situation, if you have a, a, a historical, I think you do need the alien threat because it comes part and parcel with, I guess, audience expectations of what Doctor Who is. But I think it's actually more successful in the telling of a Doctor Who story in modern days as well, in having that pteroleptal in the corner or in the basement, because otherwise you kind of just go through the motions of sort of a... It becomes a curio. The Doctor lands in uh, X history, and this happens, but they can't really affect it, and then they go away, and maybe they've learned something. But there isn't that kind of peril, or there isn't the kind of dramatic impetus that's required... Uh, for modern you know modern storytelling to really make it successful so in that regard and to sort of summarize my points on twitter the <laughs> the point that the point that i was making was that historicals um pseudo historicals would definitely work in doctor who but i don't think we're going to get uh you know doctor who and the crusades or doctor who and the aztecs uh anytime mm. soon because i just don't think that's where we're at as as a viewership mm. yeah very true very true but just my just my point of view now, why don't we start with the characters, and we'll start with the villain, Crasco. As I said earlier, he is a very inconsequential villain, like the monster yeah. that was in Vincent and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times, I felt he had quite a bit of menace, like he looked menacing, that, yeah. black, that black beard and his look and the leather jacket, that was all very cool. Sure, yeah. At other times, though, he didn't feel quite real to me. Um, I agree. Uh, okay, well, take over for a moment, Steve. What did you think of well, Crasco? <laughs> sorry, I feel like I'm treading on your toes here. but Not not um, at all. I, I, I think you're right. He was probably designed to be a sort of low-stakes villain. Um, and the reason why I think it's it's pretty two-dimensional is that it's, it's meant to be a bit of a cipher rather than a character. I mean, mm. we may well see this character turn up again, but it's, it's more so a standing or a sort of representation of, you know, largely, I think anyway, the sort of alt-right movement, particularly in the US at the moment. Um, and to sort of give that too much of a character or too much of a, of a face would, would personalise what is instead a movement. And I think that's probably why they have sort of left Crasco as a bit of a um, enigmatic but also underdeveloped um, kind of menace to, to the plot. I think he needed to be... Um, so in that regard, yeah, I, I agree. We don't have a fleshed-out villain in this regard, but I think the villain is not a character. I think a villain, the villain in this instance is an idea, and the idea needs to be kept suitably ill-defined to maintain that this is representative of a larger discourse rather than you know someone who's uh, twirling their moustache and coming up with outrageous scre- uh, schemes. Mm. No, look, very, very well said. You know, because at, at first I was wondering... You know, whether a person from the future wouldn't be a bit more enlightened and would they be really hung up on where it all went wrong? And, you know, Mm. and I guess the message here is that you can have space Nazis uh, pop up uh, no no matter how things, no matter how well things go in the future, you know, people like this can maybe still pop up and some things obviously triggered him uh, and and it's all Mm. about race. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think, well, gosh, he's from the future. Are people not over race? Because you'd be dealing with lots of aliens and all sorts of different people and skin colours by that time. But he's, he's not. He's really hung up on this is where it all went wrong. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. But again, maybe the question can be asked of like 2018, are we still having this conversation? 1955 was a long time ago, but mm. you know, the example, um, the examples that Yaz and, and Ryan sort of recollect uh, about their everyday lived experience is something that's very much real, not just for them, but for millions of people. And I think, yeah, again, that question is kind of there to, um, to you know, a rhetorical one that's that's meant to be asked of us. It's like, it's 2018, we're still having this conversation. Mm. And the reality, um, you know, sad reality may well be that we have this in, I don't know, whatever century this um, Crasco character is from, because there's always that sort of inherent nastiness, I suppose, of, of humanity is just part of our nature. But... Hopefully you'd like to think that, you know, and this is another thing that the the story very much sort of underlined is that there is that progress, that we have moved forward, that things are never going to, or they haven't as yet at least, sort of reached that utopian sort of state. But we are moving in the right direction and every small victory counts. Now, I've got more to say about Crasco, but that's going to pop up uh, during the sports desk. So I'm happy to move on. Okay, sure. The Dr. Graham, Ryan or Yaz, Mm -hmm. where do you want to go next, Steve? Uh, can we start with Yaz, please? Absolutely. For 100 points. Yaz for 100 points. Steve, the floor is yours. <laughs> um, look, I really like her. Uh, I think the actress is, is really wonderful, Mandip Gill. I j- still am waiting for a, a story where she's got more to do than Nissa has in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really want to see that next week. And I think we're going to get it, um, but it's probably a little bit overdue. Yeah, look, I've made a note here. Yaz, once again, the spare wheel. Um, But I think she got a bit more to do this week. She got to do the investigation. She had it like Mm. a map and she was drawing and, you know, doing some stuff. And she had some good lines. I think she was fleshed out a little more. Uh, Like, I had the sense she was Pakistani. And Mm -hmm. so she was likely Muslim. But in this episode, it was made explicit that she is a Muslim and she's been off to the mosque. And, you know, someone called her a horrible name uh, coming back from the mosque, I think the story was. And I think, oh, okay, I think this might be our first Muslim companion. And, you know, no Mm. fuss has been made over that. I think the closest we got in the past was in the God Complex. God Complex, yes. One of the characters, I think Rita, uh, Rita, was right. Muslim, uh, yes, and love oh, I love the God Complex. It's one of my mm, favourite Smithy stories. So good, and um, and that's the closest we've got to a companion. She was like a surrogate companion for the episode, but yeah. uh, aside from that, we've never had a Muslim companion before. I thought more might have been made of this. For example, when we had Bill Potts coming in, it was like, okay, the Doctor's getting the first, you know, gay companion and so on, you know. That's a good point. I just thought more might have been mentioned about it. I don't know. Maybe it's a touchy subject for the PR department. Who knows? Or, or, and and this is like very much in keeping with Chris Chibnall's sort of approach to, to, um, you know, media sort of leaks and reports and stuff like that. So little has come out that I guess he's just waiting for the story to unfold for the audience rather than than prime us in that way. Hmm. Yeah, no, quite right, quite right. So, yeah, look, that was Yaz for me. Again, the spare wheel, but I think she had a little more. It wasn't yeah, much I more, agree. but it was a little more. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. I'm going to say we should talk about Ryan next, because i got some notes on Ryan here. See how these sit with you, Steve. <sighs> yes, please. Ryan, I think, did really, really well here. Um, that mm-hmm. conversation where he admits he's struggling and would just like to start bashing people, um, yeah. you know, really brought it home for me. I'm not someone who's been in that situation. You know, just how oppressive it must feel. Yeah. Uh, of course, he's coming from a, a background where it's it's better. Uh, you know, it's still a work in progress, but it's better for him where he comes from. So there was there was a bit of culture shock at play as well. But regard mm-hmm. but regardless, you know what? He can't pick up the woman's gloves. He can't sit on the bus with the doctor and Graham. You know, yeah. it, could could he v- seriously be taken away and beaten to death? Well, yes, he could. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and so his anger and fear, I felt, was very real and really brought it home for the audience audience i oh gosh i think you know we're going to talk about this later in the sports desk or at least i am this Mm -hmm. was uh, such an important part of the story i mean to have you know even just in the small visual cues you know ryan having to sit two or three uh, seats behind where the doctor and graham are sitting and and that that's heartbreaking you know there's that that wonderful moment where uh, you know, again, they're sitting behind the scene and he's talking about, you know, police targeting still being a thing in 2018 for, for young black men in the UK. Mm. Um, and that this is something that, you know, is, 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 it makes his blood boil. You know, it really does provoke him. But, and this is, this was a really beautiful character moment for me. It's, 
the lesson that he's learnt from his nan, Grace, that has has made him sort of rise above that. Don't give him any uh, reason, he says. Mm. And I think I think that's a, a far more enlightened approach. Um, so it's it's beautiful to see that in someone who's you know ostensibly a nineteen year old young man who should be angry at the world for a number of reasons, but is is someone who maybe is looking to rise above all of that. I think it was a really noble character moment for for him. Really, really touched him. Yeah, touched me rather. Yeah, I was I was really really taken with that. So you know, hats off to Ryan yeah, in this episode. Definitely, and and that <laughs> he sort of gets a little bit of a. You know, in amidst this terrible setting that is just horrific for him in particular, you know, being able to talk with Martin Luther King and talk with uh, <laughs> Rosalie Rose Parks in their home, you know, that was that was a beautiful moment, particularly when, and this was another sort of touching uh, uh, scene where Martin Luther King is able to pay his condolences uh, to the passing of his nan. And you, you could see, you know, in, in uh, Tosin Cole's uh, wonderfully sort of uh, acted reaction that it really meant a lot to, to Ryan. It was, yeah, it was a really beautiful moment. Yeah, and, and look, uh, a quick nod, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, to Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, when Bill and Ted would <laughs> often refer to their friends from history as, you know, Billy the Kid or Abraham Lincoln and call them by their full name. And here we had Ryan <laughs> saying, well, thank you, Martin Luther King. Oh, thank you, Roosevelt. <laughs> nice pickup, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was intentional, uh, it just reminded me of it. <laughs> so good. Uh, that's in my head, Canon. <laughs> okay which leaves us with the doctor and graham where do you want to go next steve uh let's leave the doctor to last let's go with graham okay the floor is yours um again just another eminently likable performance um i think graham's fast becoming sort of the the character that's stealing the show for me i yes. really look forward to each of his scenes and uh, the way that he's integrating into um you know life aboard the tardis and you know life post um, losing his wife and all of that is just I don't know he, he's just got such a sense of humor and that that's shining through as well I, I just think he's great yeah and look I've I've been team Graham since our first hot take uh, <laughs> you know Dave wasn't as sure about him in the first episode sort of come around to him in the second episode but I've been Graham 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 from the start and uh, not just because my cat is called Graham as I said before. <laughs> um <laughs> Again, he got most of the good lines and he came across as totally human with the, you know, the I don't want to be part of this line on the yeah. bus at the end. You know, yeah, he, was, yeah, yeah. he was almost going to ruin everything by, by just getting out of there and he didn't want to be part of it. And it was because he's so human. And I, I yeah. know he didn't have the same direct issues as Ryan and to a lesser degree Yaz in this episode. Um you know, the world he was in here is built for middle-aged white men like him who just want to sink, piss and play pool. And, you know, the world's their oyster. <laughs> it's fantastic. But he's not like them. That's that the is point, though, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. He's cut from different cloth. And we yeah. already knew that via his relationship with Grace and the relationship mm -hmm. he's trying to have yep. with Ryan and, and whatnot. Um, he's a good egg, basically. Yeah, he really is. Um, I didn't have any hang-ups about Bradley Walsh when he was announced, and, and I didn't have any sort of... Uh, negative reaction to seeing him in that first episode where I thought, again, he was just as good as he has been in the other two episodes that I've seen him in. But Bradley Walsh is is, is just... Oh, there's an incredible moment. And it is it is that, that moment on the bus. You can just see it in his face, that that empathy that he's able to convey through just a look. And, and it's the way that his face falls. And you can see the sort of not... Um, know pitting in his stomach that oh my god he's going to be part of you know something that he hasn't been able to you know that he's always been able to sort of think he's, he's uh i guess you know above and, and not a part of and there mm. he is at ground zero at, at something that later would have an enormous impact on you know his own story with grace um uh, so yeah, I think that 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 one particular moment was fantastic. But he's also able to do comedy really well as well. The the scene by the the river there by the creek was just absolutely <laughs> comedic gold, and the way he delivered it, every single line and every single word was just genius. I loved it. Yeah, he is stealing the show in places. That's for sure. I, I'm yeah. very happy with him. And like most Australians, we don't have sort of a a reference for him unless people have watched Law and Order UK. No. I don't I've think. Not, no. No, well, I haven't either, and we don't really get the game shows he hosts, well, at least not on the channels I have. 
No. You know, so to to us, it's, he's just what we see on talk shows and stuff where we think, oh, who is this guy? Let's try and find an interview with him. <laughs> and he seems so personable and fun in the interviews. It's like, mm. oh, this guy could be really great. So I don't think Aussies and maybe the Yanks or whoever else around the world have really bought into, oh, it's Bradley Walsh. Oh, it seems to just be the UK fans. Look, I think this happened previously with Doctor Who companions being cast. And I think, you know, we go back to... Um, Oh, chap from Little Britain. Matt Lucas. Yes. Um, I, I didn't have any problem with it. And when I first saw him, I fully accepted it. And I thought, this guy's going to be good. And when he was announced as a companion for Series 10, I was like, I'm ready for that. Mm. And, of course, the, the number one example is, is Donna Noble, the casting of Catherine Tate, who just absolutely smashed any expectations that people had or preconceptions of her as just being light comedic character or, or comedy relief. That was not the case at all. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, before we get to the sports desk, Steve, we've got one more character to talk about. That's the Doctor. I'll kick off mm. here and say I, I think Jodie played this whole story really well. She can't change history. Indeed, she yep. doesn't want to change history, um, no matter how much it's burning her <laughs> to, to just witness these human rights issues going on. She just has to sit mm. there and take it because she knows it has to happen. And that was uh, hard to watch at times. You know, of course, she wants history to stay on track, too, but she doesn't want to be too involved in it. You know, and I found this a very old school doctor thing to be doing. You know, it's, it's Hartnell-esque, yeah. as we've sort of touched on earlier. Very much, yeah. I can almost feel if this story was done with Tennant, especially, it might have involved some real grandstanding and a big speech, and it just would have been tonally wrong. This, I think, was on the money. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'm not. I'm not going to bag out Tennant. I think uh, he has a time and a place and a, and a discourse and a style of storytelling, and it worked in that era. I don't think it would work to sort of have done that with Jodie and to particularly have done that in this story. Um, I, I long ago accepted Jodie as the Doctor, and I think what we're seeing now is that the material as well as the performance is, is actually there at last. To me, I think you might sort of recognise that she's also more of a Davison than most of the other Doctors, like a, like a Tennant, for instance. And that's that kind of, you know, kind enabler rather than a grandstander and, and show-off in many ways. And I just think of that moment, like the... the, the the, the sequence that most stands out is the look on Jodie's face and the Doctor's face with her back towards uh, Rosalie Parks as that moment is happening. And there's just this, well, my reaction was that there's just this sense of willing her on or, you know, just say, just sort of pleading with, with history and with Rosa that, that this is something that has to happen and, and, and needs to go through, as well as that shock that, oh my God, we're, we're part of this, that we, we were on that, that damn bus and we, we mm. were part of that crew. Um, so that was a, a real lovely moment and really sort of showed off Jodie's um, um, acting chops. I thought that was incredible. And that is, as you say, in a very, very different doctorish performance to a Tennant or a Colin Baker or a Tom Baker. It's much more Troughton perhaps, certainly more Davison uh, and even Hartnell, as you say, that sort of subtlety. Yeah, I really appreciated that. I think she was, she's wonderful. Absolutely. And I've made a couple more comments here. And one of them is she's on the Davo end of confrontation than, than other doctors, um, by which I mean, <laughs> you know, when it comes to confrontation and, you know, when she was dealing with Crasco, I think she's at that less shouty, less overbearing because she's, she's a small person. So, yeah, Pat Troughton makes sense as well. They, they sort of play it differently when they're a smaller sort yeah. of stature. Um, mm. the, the Doctor uh, you know and I, I actually see this as a criticism being made of her by some people out there that you know uh. she's she's just not she, she hasn't got the big Tom Baker voice you see you know or, or whatever <laughs> and, and it's like well of course she doesn't you know that's not how she's playing it you know and I don't mind this at all and you know but I, I get how it might seem different or weaker than the past Doctors to newer fans but I don't mind it at all to me she's she's quite Davo no, yeah, and exactly, it is Devo, and I'm I'm not accepting the argument that it's weak. The Doctor isn't weak by being kinder. I think it's quite the opposite. You know, that's probably also a reflection on my own bias. Like like yourself, Devo was my Doctor at least growing up as a kid. I was mm. uh, as a teenager the Doctor that I'd most identified with, and I can kind of see that this is um, a, a sort of take on Davison where there's Davison plus humour. You know, the the running joke of the of, of her being Banksy and you know the Elvis and Frank Sinatra mobile phone <laughs> gag was was brilliant. And and their lines that you know Peter Davison's Doctor on television at least never got a chance to to sort of go in that direction. 
but here she is. She's you know as witty and clever and cheek, uh, uh, and, and cheeky as as Tennant in many ways, but she's also as entirely sympathetic and empathetic as a Davison or a Troughton as well. And I I think that's great. I think you can't have the Doctor played uh, as one note. I have no problem with Tennant. I have certainly no problem with with Tom Baker. But I love that there is this multifaceted, almost contradictory sort of nature to the different Doctors. And I love that you can tell different stories as a result of the fact that the character of the lead actor, the, the accents on it are different with each incarnation. I think it has to happen for the show to survive 55 years. Exactly. And as a follow up to that, the, the second point I'd made here about Jodie was that I love the two Banksy lines that she came yeah. out with. It's just the, or so am I? Good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Particularly, and they wouldn't have known this at the time with the recent sort of uh, PR stunt where the, you know, the million pound um, painting was shredded the moment that it was sold at Sotheby's, <laughs> um, which is kind of a doctorish thing to do. Before we depart from Jodie, just one thing that I noticed. Mm. Did you notice she was wearing the maroon shirt today? Yes, and I thought, where did she get that from? (laughs) Well, how about this? Is this a sort of sly reference or sort of parallel to the way in which Matt Smith's bow tie would change from red to blue based on whether they're in the future or the past or like Tennant's suit? So Ah. this is the first time that we've gone back into the past, right? Yes. And... Um, when we used to go into the past with Matt Smith, he would have the sort of maroonish red tie to sort of signify the red shift. And when we go into the future, we have the blue the blue shift going forward in time. I wonder whether we're going to see Jodie wearing the maroon shirt when we go back in time for the historicals and uh, the blue shirt when we're in the present and the future. That's my uh, sort of initial sort of fanboy alert um, when I saw the shirt. Now, that's a much more interesting take than what I had, which was <laughs> on a very basic level. I thought, now, she got the black shirt from an op shop. So where'd she get the maroon shirt from? Did she have a matching maroon shirt on the TARDIS, the one she got from an op shop? You know, that's, that's where my fan brain was going. Yours is much more interesting point to make. <laughs> now, before we hit the sports desk, Steve, we've got to do the Chibnall death count. And we remain on five, three episodes into yeah. the series. No one died here. Yeah, I'm not going to count Crasco as the death. I think um, not at he all. is maybe going to reappear, but in any case, he's sort of been sent off to the golden age that never was somewhere in the <laughs> past by by Ryan to live out uh, his, his golden utopia. Um, but I don't think that kind of counts. Yeah, exactly. So enjoy it, Crasco. <laughs> there never was a golden age. Exactly. And we're off to the sports desk. So here we are at the sports desk. Your first time at the sports desk, Steve. Yeah, no, this is this is very much an honour. Thank you very much for having me. Because the, the green blazer fits you well. Yeah, I, I pull it off well, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> now, for people who haven't heard us before, uh, we do a play of the week, a foul of the week, and an MVP of the week. I mm-hmm. think we'll start with the... Let's start with the foul of the week. We'll, we'll sort of build up from, uh, from hmm. here. What okay. was your foul of the week, Steve? Um, look, there wasn't a red card offence uh, that was straight to the showers <laughs> for me, but um, there were a couple that maybe were a little bit iffy. I'm not too sure about the use of the asteroid as a sort of climactic point. It was kind of a bit of an anticlimactic point. I really enjoyed that there was that sort of reference to the uh, Medal of Honour or whatever it was that she was awarded to by um, by Clinton, President Clinton, way back in 99. Mm-hmm. Um uh, that's okay. I think the one that really sort of stuck with me um, was the use of the song, not so much in the scene, but over the end credits. Mm. Now, don't don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I'm not someone who's against the idea of having uh, a song or even silence over the end credits. And uh, just the other night, um, Spanky Backpack on uh, Twitter, if you don't follow, please do so, did a beautiful mock-up of Life on Mars over the end credits of The Green Death. And that was just gorgeous. And, oh, wow. You know, I, yeah, yeah, go check it out. And also think um, there's that sort of obviously the, the part four of Earthshock, I think can only be enhanced after you've heard our cold star child. But this one <laughs> didn't quite work for me. This one was just a little bit too sledgehammer. And I think I would have appreciated just the normal the outro uh, with the um, the great new Sagan Akinola music. Yeah, so probably I... a yellow card for persistent fouling rather than red card for a knee high tackle. Okay. All right, I can go with that. It's not my my foul of the week. My foul of the week, Steve, is the choreography when Crasco shot his own luggage. Oh. 
I think more could have been made of that scene. Uh, if people think back to it, it's very quick. Uh, it's kind mm. of like a, a long shot. You can see Crasco on the left, Jody's on the right. She sort of turns around, throws his bag up into the air. He shoots it, and life yep. moves on. And I thought, oh, this could have been maybe a bit more tense. It could have been a bit tougher. There could have been a struggle. Oh, you know, okay. Like she could have turned around with it in her hands. He could have been going to shoot her. She could have thrown it straight at him. They could have tussled. You know, she's been using Venusi and Aikido in the previous episode. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking lots of quick cuts. It's 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 a struggle. You know, instead it was just like, oh, I'll just throw this in the air, zap. Okay, you sh- you shot your luggage. Okay, let's move on. And I thought, oh, Ooh. I just think this could have been so much better. <laughs> That's really interesting because I saw that and I almost applauded because it was just such a clever doctory thing to do and it was over in an instant and he was so thick that he didn't think that it would happen. I thought, I actually thought that was quite clever and I, I liked it. That That is a good take on it. That almost makes me um, okay <laughs> with the scene. <laughs> but, but on but, first viewing for our hot take, I was like, oh no, I want to struggle here. I want sort of a James Bond sort of slugfest. <laughs> Yeah, okay. But, you know, have a look at those two examples or three examples that we've talked about, and they are such minor things. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which brings us to play of the week. I'll take lead here, Steve. My Mm. play of the week is doing an historical episode, full stop. Ah. Whether it was Chibnall having the idea and telling Blackman to go and write it or Blackman coming up with it from the start, um, to Mm -hmm. go and do it and historical, albeit in the modern Doctor Who sense, which was discussed, isn't a pure historical, I think it's still great. And to include the extra information for the kids, it takes Doctor Who back to that Mm. educational heart and era vibe, but in a modern way, I just think it's great. I'm not going to call it gutsy because I think people have been calling for it for a long time and I think people quite like historical-based things. Things, but I will call it clever and it's my play of the week. That's a good one. And I think it sort of uh, chimes into to my one, which is the, the scene at the end on the bus. I think when we look back on this in decades to come, this is going to be one of those immortal moments of television that Doctor Who did. That was just outstanding in every single way. Technically, um, from, a, from a writing point of view, the, um, the actors, the scoring, there was just nothing other than just brilliance in that scene. And I think it is absolutely perfect. Oh, absolutely. In much the same way, and I know we've already mentioned Vincent and the Doctor, but when we have Bill Nye saying, you know, that, that wild man yeah. who walked through the fields of Provence, exactly. and, you know, the music swells and the camera is spinning and Vincent bursts into tears and Smithy's like, oh, is it too much, Vincent? You know, that scene is already immortal and, and this will be too. I quite agree. Yeah, yeah. And to, to the point where, okay, I still haven't made my mind up about the whole of Vincent and the Doctor. Um, I'm not sure that those last five minutes uh, uh, sort of make up for some of the holes in the rest of the story mm. where there were no holes in the, in this story at all and it was just beautifully told and told with a purpose and in the right way and that scene was really much the capstone. So definitely my play of the week. Fantastic, which, which just leaves one category, uh, Stephen, mm-hmm. that's going to be your you taking lead on this. That's oh, our okay. MVP. <clears throat> This is really difficult because you could give it to absolutely anyone and everyone, including obviously the, um, uh, I forgot her name, I'm sorry, but the, the actress who played Rosalie Parks, who was just wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this was an episode that really highlighted Tosin Cole's acting ability. Mm-hmm. I know Dave has spoken very highly of him and I think he's sort of reached new heights here and I hope that it continues. I hope that he gets more of this kind of really great, worthy um, sort of role in the, in, in the TARDIS and, and, and some great scenes and lines. Um, but yeah, this is this is his uh, MVP uh, award for this episode for me. He was brilliant. Yeah, oh, Dave will lose his mind when he sees this episode because he's already yeah. team, team Ryan. And, <laughs> he is, uh, isn't he? Yeah, he'll just think this is great. I can already say that with uh, surety. For me, though, it's Graham with Ryan yeah. a close runner-up. Yeah, fair. Um, you know, there was good dialogue from both. There was realistic responses from both. They both helped the Doctor when she needed it without becoming the Doctor. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know when Clara was helping the Doctor, she, she was sort of becoming the Doctor and there was even a joke made about it where they put her in the credits and it was Clara who and, you know, yeah. but, but here the companions are doing really well, but it's not, it's not Graham who, it's not Ryan who, you know, they just did so well without sort of going into that territory that does tick off fans including myself i've got to say yeah look i don't have a problem with clara who i think it works and it's just another avenue that doctor who can tell stories but i get that point i absolutely see and concede how it would annoy people i think 
uh, and to sort of circle back to your point around these characters not being, um, uh, you know, companion who, but rather the, the companions, could this be Series 19's Crowded Tartars done right? Yeah, well, they've just got to get Yaz working a bit more, yeah, and it, and it exactly. will be. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good call for sure. Beautiful. Well, we've got a lot of tweets from listeners, but before we get to them, Steve, uh, we've got to give our own scores out of 10 and a bit of a wrap-up. So yeah, okay. who, who wants to go first here? Uh, I'm happy to, to go for it. I think this is a 9 out of 10. Uh, it could even rise in my estimation just on first and only viewing. Um, I was blown away by it um, for all of the reasons that we've talked about and probably a thousand others that we haven't even thought of yet. This is a story that will only continue to sort of gather layer upon layer of, uh, you know, sort of really interesting readings and, and sort of takes on it. Um, there is such enormous pathos and and beautiful empathy that sort of comes from it it's got a message that is incredibly timely and is a wonderful reminder i guess of the what is uh i guess maybe the best of us mm. um and I, ju- I just think that this is incredible and and nine out of ten is on the low end so um this is this is brilliant all righty i'm going in with a solid eight and a half out of ten and mm-hmm. this was so so very close to being nine out of ten for me too Clearly, to me, this jumped ahead of the first two episodes, which, you yeah. know, I thought were really solid. But solid, this yeah. was even better. It was not preachy. It was historical Doctor Who. Um, yeah. It wasn't quite perfect in places, hence why I didn't give it nine, and it's certainly not a ten. Okay. But, but geez, it was good. You yeah. know, it was so, <laughs> yeah. so very good. And I would be very proud to show this to a non Whovian this episode, oh. which I think is the strongest thing I can say about any episode, just to go to a non Whovian, here, watch this. This is what I think the best of my show is about. I think you're right. That's a wonderful way of putting it. I would be proud to show this to a non a not we. Yeah. This is this is exactly that kind of show. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I you know, it's it's only it's only in quotation marks eight and a half, but that's how I feel about it. I feel very strongly about it. Cool. Yeah, lovely. I think we're on mm. the same page. Beautiful. Okay, and to close out, we have some hot takes from Twitter from some of our listeners. David Clark at David Clark fourteen says, "Well, just watched Rosa, and I'm really impressed. A great history episode handled with great care and sensitivity. Hmm. Difficult to choose a star player, but it would have to be Vanette Robinson. Rosa. There you go. That's her name, uh, Steve. Mm. Vanette Robinson. And Graham's still my favourite. Nine out of ten. Valid. Yeah, absolutely good call." Bernard D follows and he says, starting to flow now and seeing what can be done by the new regime. Fast improvement over last week's fumbling effort. And that also, I think, is a good comment. Yeah, absolutely. Nick from Nicky Quote on Twitter says, Tonight's Doctor Who was so sincere, so angry at injustice and so full of heart that it felt like something new being built on themes that were always there, if usually hidden behind analogies or quips. Really looking forward to hearing Jodie and Terra and the Doctor Who show's reactions. Well, you've just heard ours. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and really tune into Jodie and Terra too. Yeah, this is the new um, Flight Through Entirety Boys. They've got a reaction cast. Definitely worth tuning into that one. I, feel, yes. I think you're right. Um, uh, Nick, he's, he mentions the idea that it's no longer using analogy. This is outright, um, you know, the stories that are, are being used. And, yeah, I think it was a bold and, and beautifully executed step. Absolutely. Okay, so Wanderer at Fishy underscore Wanda says, I love this episode. It's one hell of a reminder we all need. I have a small itty-bitty issue with a scene, but overall bloody fantastic. <laughs> you can't tell Wanda's from Australia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the bloody fantastic there at the end? Yeah, I can and, guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Wanda has written us a longer email where she talks about the issue she has with a particular scene, and we'll oh, do that okay. on yeah, our yeah. monthly episode at the end of the month. Looking forward to a nice one. Mm. Daniel Martinez at Electric Maestro 5 says, While I feel the episode lacks as an entertainment piece and better serves as a learning piece, unlike with Vincent and the Doctor where it balances both pieces well, I still feel it will positively impact the viewers in learning about Rose's story. A good lesson indeed. Okay, all right. So I guess, yeah, I I can see how um, that would be the case. I probably think that it is... a perfect little piece of entertainment as well as infotainment or education as well so mm, not sure i 100 percent agree but I, I i take the comment it certainly packs in more than vincent and the doctor i think yeah i think so too definitely mm. mark at mark cameron 
Now that was more like it. Well written, paced and performed by all throughout. Jodie went from a likeable stranger to feeling like the doctor for me. And I love that Rose's history is due to her and her life, not because of interference. So much more to say, but for now, thumbs up. That actually is a really good point. It's not the doctor saving the day. This is Rosa uh, standing up and it's, it's nothing to do with the doctor. Yeah, I guess the Doctor had to engineer the situation because uh, Crasco mm. had sort of messed things up a bit. But in the end, she just had to sit there quietly looking ahead and hoping... Yes, exactly. That Rosa did her thing. Yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, Steve. Don't they go quick? <laughs> they really do. Um, I think that I probably could talk about this all night, but uh, that's probably not the intent of these kinds of uh, podcasts, so we might have to leave it there. <laughs> that's right. Before we go, though, where can people hear more of you? Oh, okay. So, New To Who Podcast. Uh, find us at New To Who Podcast on Twitter and find us in your um, uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called these days, or podcatcher of choice, <laughs> uh, New To Who. Particularly timely that you've got me on uh, this time because this Sunday we've got a show coming up, dropping with none other than Dave himself uh, ah. for uh, a st- uh, the last first Doctor story, The Tenth Planet. Ooh, that'll be a treat. Yeah, it was good fun, that's for sure. Really looking forward to that. But until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Stephen. And we'll see you next time. Be seeing you. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.